Hello, and welcome to the 11th episode of Source of Uncertainty. I'm Kyle Swisher. I'm Robert Standifer. And uh, it might sound a little different right now. A little bit. To compare what she's used to, but we'll get into that uh, earworm later. Um, how's it going, Robert? Oh, you know, been stuck inside for way too long. Starting to get a little stir crazy, a little bit of cabin fever. Mm-hmm, I forgot what mm-hmm. it's like to wear shoes and pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And I think, how is it that I'm getting fatter, even though I'm not going out to eat? Wasn't that like the big thing? If you stop going out to eat, you'll lose weight. Ugh, the opposite has been yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, well, at least when I was going out, I was do- making motions yeah. to uh, actually to physically car. get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did have to heave myself out of my car when I would go out to dinner. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My we just celebrated my uh, my kiddo's ninth birthday, so you know, no birthday party. Yep. No, uh, you know, regular kid celebration thing. So it's weird, yeah. but you know, we got them stocked up with Legos and. Um, Harry Potter books, so hopefully I'll kind of keep them out of our hair for a bit. That, that's what I need. They go in Harry Potter books. You know, that's my what? birthday was this month also, April 6th. And it was, it was nice, you know, it was, a, it was a, my high-pitched voice ought to tell you everything you need to know about that one. It was a, it was a good birthday. That's some really <laughs> nice stuff. And then my wife's birthday was April 19th, and it was equally boring. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just is what it is. Like, yeah. I really hope that Next month, we're talking less about being stuck at home, and then by June, we're like, "Remember when we were stuck at home?" But I'm I'm ca- I'm optimistic because if I think about it any other way, I, I don't know how I'll come to terms with, with it. Yeah, actually, I, I haven't I haven't been as optimistic, and I'm like I'm more just like oh, I'm just day by day, yeah. and like this is what it is, and then hey, it might change, and then I'll be happy about it then. But that's like how I get with like trips. You know, if like we're going on a trip, I'm like not looking forward to that trip until I'm like getting off the plane in, in <laughs> the place that home. I am. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was cool. You're in the Uber on the way home. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that trip I just took. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, the, we just kind of finished up all the EMS stuff. Speaking of trips, um, so all the videos and stuff that i took for that i think are all posted by now on patreon so um yeah thanks for all the patreon supporters uh that keep helping us do this show and i hope you all enjoyed that um yeah i guess at some point those will start arriving um on our youtube channel uh, in the maybe a few months away um but I guess, yeah, that we should also talk about um, on this episode, there's no featured module segment. Yep. Um, we, we had a we, good one we're planned. We're just not doing it anymore. We're not doing the featured module at all ever again. <laughs> Done with it. It's, it's um, lame. No. No, I, I was like wanting to kind of try and push forward and like thinking of all these ways of like, man, if we set up like an iPad and then you set up your phone to actually record it, then I could be on the iPad and I could see what you're doing over your shoulder, but I can, I can record this at the same time. And 
then Robert's just like, I don't <laughs> think that's worth it because it's all about kind of being in the same room and into it at the same time. It's like, yeah, you're yeah. Especially right. for that for that particular module, and really for most of them, I think they're, they're, they're it can be tough. You know, it would yeah. be pretty cool if you and I don't have the same stuff, but if we did, then we could do something where we both use the same thing. But we'll figure it yeah. out. You know, with May coming up, we'll talk about some some interesting options. Yeah. So I guess, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. We'll f- we'll figure something out. But uh, but yeah, we've got a good long interview that we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but let's see what else we got going on. Um, oh, lots of new Bukla people. Yeah. So we kind of, yeah, we talked about that in some of the recent episodes and more of the conversation I've gotten to, and I know this is always in, um, you know, people that I listen to in Eurorack world, like, um, you know, like our friends, Tim Held and, um, Ben Wilson, um, you know, there's always kind of like people that are jumping into stuff. Be like, what do I do? What do I get? And that, I think, kind of like the best response to that is like, well, you know, what's your intention? And only you can kind of really <laughs> figure that out yourself. Yeah. Um, but it's been, it pops up in in our world too a bit. And I think we're both kind of on the same page, being saying basically start with an easel or start yeah. with the two hundred eight. Start with the two hundred eight two eight C would probably be with the Sensil Morph and the Thunder Overlay and your favorite MIDI controller. And man, you can just do some incredible stuff with that. It's a lot yeah. of fun too. Yeah, because you're going to, you know, a little bit is still normalized with the um, the low-pass gates being attached to each one of the oscillators. Um, but you'll start to get the feel of patching with bananas. Um and I mean, there's a little bit that you can do with tiny jacks, but not much. Maybe there's more in the new one. Um, but that is one kind of component that doesn't really come into play un- until you get into kind of full-sized yeah. modules. And if you can um, expand with the cards, like the Ox yeah. Expander from Bukla or the Paps cards or the, um, um, just drew a blank on, oh, the Cardo C from Northern Light. Mo- I mean, there are a lot of options there. Some really mm-hmm. cool stuff, really cool developments in that area too. That card slot's pretty cool. We don't talk about it a lot, but it's a pretty impressive piece of technology for being seventy four or whenever that was. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's so crazy. And I'm still like figuring out stuff about that card slot too. I've got to make some some of my own cards for it. Um, I want to get because I, I kind of always like like glossed over the uh the two card and from card inputs that are up at the top of the easel mm-hmm. and now i'm kind of realizing like oh i can do some cool stuff with that but um but yeah i think it kind of you know you get a sequencer you get the envelope you get the pulser you kind of get all this other stuff yep. that you're gonna get into if um you know when you if you if and when you do graduate on to other you know a, a bigger system you know, if I may wax philosophically for just a moment, I'll allow it. I don't think that there is a concept of graduating from the ESOL to 200 or 200E because the ESOL isn't necessarily an introduction to the modular format. You know, it's its own, it is its own yeah. self contained instrument, has normal connections and so on. 
but it's you can use anything like you could use a, a giant 200e system to the jumping point to an easel you know where you put a 208 in your system mm-hmm. they're kind yeah, of true. they're symbiotic in some ways but i i don't like to think of the easel or the 208c being the introduction to Buchla that everybody or that lots of folks kind of cast it that way it can be it is you know of course it's has that as an advantage unless we're talking the easel k which is like a whole other discussion but you expand from the easel, you know, you don't grow up from it. I don't think you grow up into the 200. It's just a different, it's a different thing. Kind of like yeah. if you start out with piano, you don't grow up into a synthesizer or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you do see it in bigger cases too. I There's somebody recently mentioned about how they think about the 208 as just a really, really complex oscillator. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, well, okay. Like, options. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, okay, that's, that's a, that's a cool way to think about it. I sure haven't. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. Makes you, you, think. Have, you have a five step voltage source, not necessarily a sequencer, but you can use it that way, but you could generate, different voltages from that which are going to modulate your oscillator yeah it's a it's a giant complex oscillator (laughs) yeah um that's a really interesting point of view yeah and also i was talking with uh, augustus green about it recently um you know just like with the you know intentions of it like i was i was talking about how you know since my main um you know i i just had it by itself for for two or three years before kind of getting into other stuff i tried to make it you know as big as um as it could sound you know i was like definitely using both oscillators for for audio at all times Mm -hmm. where you know he was talking about it like oh i really you know he may he may rarely have the modulation oscillator doing anything other like in audio rate it will usually be modulating the complex oscillator you know with its in its uh kind of lfo state yep. which i you know which i rarely do so it is cool how you know it can it can and then he kind of yeah thinks of it as you know just a big then make a really complex monosynth out of it um, yeah or with like todd barton who we have to mention in every episode contractually yep. take, take a drink take yeah. a drink that's starting now <laughs> Uses a looper pedal to turn it into kind of a polyphonic um, sounding mm-hmm. synthesizer, you know. It's just such a powerful, as the Brits would say, piece of kit. And, it, you know, it, it, to kind of go back on what I was saying, it is a great introduction to the Buchla ecosystem because it's self-contained. It's You can open it up, out, take it out of the box, plug it in, and immediately make music with it, which is one of the things I really loved about the easel. But it's not a, a, no disrespect to the Volca, but it's not a Korg Volca. You know, it's not like the thing that's (laughs) cheap, that they're inexpensive, that lets you get into making electronic music. And the Volca is wonderful that I know people are going to email me now and say that I've disrespected the Volca. And I mean nothing like that. But the ESOL is not the kind of thing where you buy it and then you go buy a bunch of 200E modules and then you get rid of the ESOL, unless you're me. But most people won't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> most most people won't do that. I, I, I re, I'm actually thinking about getting a 208C. I really kind of regret selling my easel, but 
you know, I was going through some stuff. But anyway, that's a story for another show. Um, the only other, the one other thing about Nita Bukla <clears throat> is um, I've been reading on Facebook and in the in Muffwiggler forum and stuff, people asking about, you know, what module should I start with? <clears throat> or I make this type of music, what should I get? Which is really cool. And then like a, a couple weeks later, a month later, they come back after they've got their thing and now they're asking that next level of questions. Like, um, can I put my H series modules in a regular 200 series case? You know, what do I need? You need the bracket and the power converter. Or what um, CV processor should I get to go with my LEM4 system? You know, they start to ask that next level of, of introductory kind of questions. And you see these, these journeys that we've all gone on, they all start the same way. And then they all kind of end up at the same place, just with a, a different route. That's been kind of cool to see too, because with all that influx of interest, we see the next level of that, which is what do I do next? And then you start mm -hmm. to hear the audio demos from those folks. And they're, you know, in one example, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of abstract it a bit, but the person might've said, I want to make really complex sequences with my Buchla. What do I get? And then a month later, posts on YouTube, at some really evolving drone, you know, that has no sequencer in it or anything like that. It's totally outside of the realm of what they were asking for, but it's a whole new direction that they've gone by getting into Buchla because they they kind of switched over into that, that Buchla mindset. So that's been really mm -hmm. cool to watch too. I'm really fascinated and interested in, in that. Maybe I spend more time doing that instead of making my own music, but you know, <laughs> it'd be really cool to look back in three to six months at how much has um, really started to come as the 208C ships more, you know, and the um, coronavirus mm -hmm. stuff settles down and people are able to, you know, get back to work and buy stuff. So this this whole landscape of new to boot club, maybe it won't be such a big story in six months. I don't know. Yeah. should look back on that in episode 17. Another prime number, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> Time will tell. Yeah, um, so we got 11, 13, and 17. So I'm really excited about these these series of episodes that are prime numbers. And 19. Okay, all right. Yeah. I'm excited for you. We got a whole bunch. And then it's going to slow down for a while, you know, the number mm. of primes. Mm -hmm. And then when we get in above above 100 and, you know, three, I'll start to figure, I can't remember which all the, those primes are. So we have a few episodes before I run out of being excited about prime episodes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. The day where you run out of those primes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's so me bummed out about the show, you know? Yeah. It makes me, I think, it's, you know, maybe, like maybe I should stop at a prime number like 73. Maybe I should quit after 73, episode 73. <laughs> Cause it gets, <laughs> it's hard to remember. Okay. 79. That's a prime. Yeah. That's but a, you have, you have all these years before we get there to, uh, <laughs> to start memorizing. That's true. We have, what is it, 60, uh, 62 months until we have five years before we get to episode 73. Oh, man. <laughs> what's Tim, what's uh, Podular Modcast up to? He's like episode 6,000 or something now, right? Um, they No, he just had his, uh, they had the 100 oh, recently. Yeah. There's he's some, had some good guests on recently. Of, he's got a lot of listeners. He's got a lot of listeners for 100 episodes of there's another podcast, just drawing a blank on it. Um, you introduced me to it, but I think he releases every week. 
So he's oh, got, art music technology. Yes, yes, yeah, that's the, it. Yeah, Darwin Gross's podcast, which that's is right. amazing. He's like episode sixty-three million or something by now. Cranks <laughs> it out. Yeah, yeah, I know. It makes me think about like, you know, it's like, oh, we're almost to twelve, <laughs> and all these other people have been doing it. You know, a year in, we got twelve. Doesn't sound that uh, impressive, you know, but. Well, when you multiply yeah. it by the number of hours, we're on episode 24. Yeah, that's true. Or 48. Yeah, so these get pretty, can yeah. be pretty long. 30 um, minute episode would be on episode 48. Uh, you pre-ordered a new module. I, oh, I did. Man, yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, 1979 has had, well, I think it's still going on, but they had a 10% off sale and released or are releasing a new module, the Digital Stereo Delay, which is based on the Chrono Blob 2 from Eurorack. And yeah, it sounds uh, like it's a like a collaboration or something on, on Yeah, that. the I think All Right Devices is the maker of the Chrono Blob V2. We played with the Chrono Bob Chrono Blob with Tim in the uh, Bukla Red panel episode last summer. So it was really oh, cool. Yeah. And, you know, I was looking at the, I, I buy pretty much everything Wes in 1979 makes, um, except for the elements, because I already had that. And mm-hmm. um, looking at the panel, it's really cool. It looks like it'll be, you know, a lot of fun to use with um, Buchla. And I love the way the Chrono Blob V2 sounds. And I needed, I really wanted to have a dedicated delay in my in my Buchla system, you know, with bananas and all of that. So I'm, yeah. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, it's cool because seven hundred bucks if the sale's not not going on anymore. So really reasonably priced too. Yeah, it's nice to have another um, delay entry into the uh, I don't know in the ecosystem um, since you know the two seventy seven is probably the most popular one, um, but. You know, that that was only a prototype back in the day. There's only a handful of those made. Same with the um the two eighty eight time domain processor, which mm, yeah. then, you know, I think there's only like two or three, depending on who you ask, and then um Mark Verbo started putting those out. Um they're both very fun, but they're both um well, they're both very different from one another. Um in this there's also the uh, the Vedicscapes one. Mm, yeah, the time processor or something like that. Yeah, time um, machine. I've never, yeah, I've never played with that that one. Um, which I think that's just a single, like single input, single output yeah. delay. Which um, which is, you know, nice about the the Buchla designs and this one too. This is a you know a dual delay that you can put multiple singles signals into it. Um, you know, do kind of ping pong stuff. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, the stereo aspect of it was something I was really looking forward to. Yeah, it's nice to have that delay in the system. For so long, I used a, a tape machine, uh, kind of like a delay for uh, which you know sounds great, but um, but yeah, super nice to now have um, have delay in the system and. CV it and and get wacky with it. So yeah, I'm looking forward to you getting that. It's the only module I've ever seen that has the divide arithmetic symbol on it. 
Oh yeah, know. I noticed that too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So those little details like that. Clearly, my dog's excited about it too. Mm-hmm. He must have seen the picture. The, the other thing about the delay that um, I'm excited about is I have the um, 4MS dual looping delay in Eurorack, and I use that with my Buchla, and I love it. Other than the jack conversion and stuff, which is really annoying, but it is what it is. Um, the this is a different type of delay than that. So the it's not the kind of thing where I feel like I have to replace that DLD or that one supersedes the other. They're just different. And mm-hmm. um, I like having that too. This will be something that I I will probably introduce the delay effect and then do further processing on the audio signal before I output. Whereas with the 4MS DLD, I use that as an effect on my output chain. So I'm kind of you know, excited about using this as an audio source into the 296E um, spectral processor to see if I can get some cool envelopes, you know, on the delay times. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, throw it into the, the 285, get some ring mod on like some of the delay, you know, on one of the stereo sides yeah. and stuff. You can do some fun stuff. And there's a vintage modern switch that I'm really looking forward to flicking to see what, <laughs> see how it's different. Yeah, you can go back to some. Uh, uh, Tim Held did a lot of demos on that through the podcast. Um, so yeah, I should go back to and and listen to what he did with those. So yeah, I wanted to also talk about a new little venture that we're gonna start. Um, if you have been listening to the podcast from the start, we. We did have a featured artist section in the first handful of shows. Um, and that's where we kind of, we picked out some, uh, somebody that was, you know, doing cool, cool music with Bukla and asked them if we could kind of share uh, their music a bit and talked about it kind of like a mini review or so. Um, and uh, those are really fun to do but they took a long time mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um with this whole thing it's a it's a balance of um you know spending time on the podcast but not having it uh take over our, our whole lives so <laughs> well yeah that so that it's kind of just it's fallen by the wayside um which is too bad because it was kind of more of the music focused thing um on the show we obviously get um you know, dig into the actual gear of Buchla. Um, and, but the output isn't always um, featured as much on the show. So, uh, so what we've decided to start doing is um, doing maybe a, a mid month release where it is just uh, Buchla music from a specific artist. Um, so yeah, hopefully in the next couple of weeks you will see. I think we're gonna maybe shoot for what was that May thirteenth, yeah, um, or May seventeenth, something like that. Yeah, middle yeah. of May. Yeah, um, yeah, it'll just be a kind of music only episode, um, and in the in the notes of every episode, we'll kind of you know obviously like have who the artist is and um, more information about the music that you'll be hearing and then links to find more stuff from them. So hopefully that will kind of uh, help in balancing the show out from not being 
a hundred percent about the gear, yeah. but uh, you know, and actually showing the 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 fruits of their labor. So, um, so yeah, we're looking forward to that, and we hope that you do too. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes from up to up. You know, something in the future that might be cool if we can is to, like we did in the previous episodes, tie the featured artist to the module that was that month. But, you know, we'll do yeah, that when we that's can. Yeah, that's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, if you are interested and ha- have, um, you know, some music that you'd like to, to share, uh, please reach out. Um, I think kind of really the thing that we're just looking for is maybe about uh, at least 20 minutes worth of music, uh, maybe up to 40 to an hour and and kind of whatever you want it to be like if you've got a a live set that you recorded if you've got um you know if you want to kind of string together a bunch of patches or a live jam that you did super long cool drone i'm kind of down for whatever you want to present um so yeah you can reach out to us uh through the website and that's uh source of uncertainty dot audio so our guest today is um, pretty special, I would say. I, you know, when Kyle, you you pulled this together, which is really awesome. And when you told me that we were going to have him on the show, I got pretty excited because um, it's just such a really cool guy. Makes great music, goes back a long time. And so, you know, why don't you introduce him for us? Yeah, today we have Steve H. Um, from. I mean, I guess I won't. I don't want to step on anything because we we do a pretty good deep dive on his whole career. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was introduced to him early on in my Bukla um, journey. Uh, he's had some great videos on his YouTube, so you should definitely check that out. And we'll talk more about that later. But um, but yeah, let's get into it with Steve. <laughs> Today on the show, we have Steve H. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. So it's tough to know where, where to, to start with you <laughs> because, uh, you've, yeah, you've, you've done so much and are still doing so much. So I guess I want to go back and just kind of get, um, get to know how, you, how Bukla entered your life. Hmm. Uh, Bukla entered my life. Well, I, can I go back even a little further? Do because it. I, I actually lost my virginity, my synthesizer virginity <laughs> to an ARP 2600. I was a uh, composition major at, a freshman composition major at uh, Carnegie Mellon University. And hmm. I was kind of really always trying to be experimental. Uh, and they didn't have an electronic music department then. They did have computer music. And I did start doing that where I would sit in front of a mainframe and type in a lot of numbers and it would just kind of go. Doo, dee, doo, 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 doo. And that was <laughs> very exciting mm-hmm. back in 1973. But I what, what, heard, was your, uh, what was your main instrument? Uh, really, a, I guess piano, but okay. I never had the, the, the coordination to be a pianist. I've been writing music since I was nine years old. Okay. So it's, I've always been more of a composer. I can play. I, I can play piano. I can play guitar. I've studied cello and flute and trombone, but don't even ask me to play any of those except <laughs> the piano at this point. 
<laughs> gotcha. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so I, I heard through the grapevine that the physics department had a synthesizer, and I had never played with one. I, you know, I've been in rock bands my whole life playing Vox Continentals and Farfisas, but never a synthesizer. <laughs> so I went down into the physics department and I kind of made friends with the receptionist and she didn't know anything about it. So she called over a, a professor and said, uh, this kid wants to play your synthesizer. And he said, oh yeah, sure. Here, here's the key. It's, uh, right. it's, it's in room negative 50. <laughs> <laughs> Basically it was in the, I think it was in the fifth sub basement or the fourth sub basement of this physics hall. And wow. I went it was down. It was in quantum state. Yeah. <laughs> so I made my way down past the boiler room and there was the door. I don't really remember what the room number was. And I opened it up and in the middle of the room on an old wooden desk was an ARP 2600. Of course, I didn't know what it was, but I, you know, it was an ARP 2600. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time falling in love with synthesis uh, at, with that ARP 2600. In fact, they let me take it home over the summer. So I oh. had it for the whole summer and I had the bug at that point. But unfortunately, uh, Carnegie Mellon at that time didn't have an electronic music department. Uh, as a student at a university in Pittsburgh, if your school didn't have what you wanted to learn, you could cross-register at another university. And the University of Pittsburgh had an electronic music studio and a program. Mm -hmm. And that's where I fell in love with Buchla because they had a, a 100 series there and a, with a great teacher named Frank McCarty, who was uh, friends with Alan Strange and, and with Don Buchla. And oh, cool. really- So it must've been you know, a character. Yeah, he was a character. <laughs> <laughs> he was like one of those professors that you just wanted to hang out with. And mm -hmm. we did, and we had a great time. And that's, uh, yeah, they had an ARP 2500 there, and they had a Buchla uh, 100 series. I believe it was a two-cabinet system and an a, uh, EMS Synthy. Wow. And a lot of oh, Scully nice. and Ampex tape machines because that's what you used in those days to manipulate sound and record sound. Yeah. So, um, and then it was kind of after you graduated that you jumped right into getting your own system, right? Yeah, um, I got the Buchla bug. I just fell in love with the sound of it. And uh, in the summer of my uh, of the next three years, while I was still at college, I was accepted at the university. I'm sorry, at the Aspen Music Festival, mm. uh, where they had an electronic music workshop run by Michael Tchaikovsky, who had an album out in the late '60s called "People the Sky," which was an yeah. all Buchla album. And Michael was just an awesome human being and great teacher. And, you know, we would just, I learned a lot from him about patching buklas and creating these wonderful, uh, you know, patches that you would wait like five minutes and then it would go. <laughs> and then, you know, 10 seconds later it would go, you know, and we would just sit there and we were drinking a couple of beers after we patched this amazing thing and just marveled at what would be coming out next. Yeah. Sitting underneath the stars in Aspen, Colorado. So wow. I, I, I think that kind of sealed the deal for Buchla for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was that on a one, uh, was that 
a 200 system that he had? No, that was an original uh, San Francisco Tape Music Center system. It had the the green lettering. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, cool. That's, that system, he donated it to the Library of Congress. That system is now in the Library of Congress. Oh, neat. And uh, I think it's been completely refurbished because it's, a, as you know, a very historic uh, piece of, uh, you know, Buchla history. Yeah. Okay, so you you went to Aspen for that uh, for that event, and that's like you said, sealed the deal for you. So then, what was, I guess, the process of getting your two hundred system? Well, you know, back in Pittsburgh, right for the, the my last year at uh, you know as a composition major, I, I knew I wanted to do it, and here's why: I heard there there was this really interesting person in New York City who had a Buchla two hundred series, who was doing commercial music <laughs> and he like did a sound effect for like the sound of a Pepsi can opening when you, and you know, of course that was Suzanne Ciani. Yeah. And I said, I want to be, I want to be like Suzanne. So I took $10,000, which was a gift from my parents and grandparents upon graduation. Right. And how lucky me. Yeah. I had, I had Frank McCarty introduce me to Don Buchla. I wrote him a letter because that's how you had to do it. And a couple of months later, I heard back and he said, yeah, I'll build you a system. Uh, come on out and let's, let's design it. Wow. So I hopped in my 73 Super Beetle, drove <laughs> from Pittsburgh to Berkeley, California, and showed up at the exact time of our meeting. And uh, I couldn't find the door. I was wandering <laughs> around like this warehouse area and I, I had the address. I knew it was correct. I, you know, obviously I couldn't call him on the cell phone. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the door. And then I noticed there was this little door. It was like the size, half the size of a regular door. And that was the entrance to Buchla and Associates. <laughs> like wide or the height of it was? The height. It was like a four foot tall door. I don't know what, maybe it was the side door and I just kind of screwed up, but I knocked on the door and I entered into the world of Buchla and Associates. And it's like something out of Willy Wonka. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like the, the Hobbit too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was amazing. It was truly, truly amazing. And Don was so welcoming and so warm and nice. Of course, having a kid with $10,000 in his pocket helped that, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. There was a lot of money in the early 70s. That was a lot of money. It was yeah. everything that I had. You know, it was all saved for me my whole life. You know, every gift that I got, birthday present from my grandparents and whatever. Yeah. It was just their savings for me upon graduation. And when I told my dad what I was going to do, he didn't give me any. He, he said, you know what? Go for it. Wow. Go for it. So, That's great. So I sat down with Don and... Uh, he was talking about all the modules that he thought I would need. And mm -hmm. I was just like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't necessarily go in with something in mind. Like, you, I, I don't know if he was putting out those catalogs back then of like, of their wares, but. You know, I um, kind of remember seeing something. Yeah. But I, in my, in my memory, I don't remember whether it's something I saw after or before. Yeah, um, yeah, and I had never used a 200 series, so this was this was a whole new world for me. 
I yeah, were you, had no were idea you wor- what a low pass gate was, for instance. Right. I just yeah. Were you kind of worried about that? No. Like, okay. No, I, I was so uh, intrigued with the sound of Bukla. And of course the music I was making was very, very West coast. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that it was the instrument for me. That's interesting because, you know, 40 plus years later, in the last episode, we were talking about people who are new to Bukla or want to get into it. And we we say the same thing. You know, we don't know how to use it. We don't know anything about it, but we just have to have it. And it it still costs about $10,000. So that (laughs) that much. Well, I walked away with a 30 module system. Oh, yeah. (laughs) For (laughs) $10,000. Yeah, so uh, it was a. I didn't. I had no idea what was really going on because I never did a business transaction quite like this before, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a lot of a lot of freaking money, man. Yeah, uh, but you know, I I think he demanded fifty percent up front, and then in about a month he asked for the rest, and uh, uh, three months later, without any notice, a big box. Uh, was wow. at a shipping company at a place about 40 miles away. <laughs> and they called me. You got to pick this up. I said, what? It's something from California. And I went, oh my God, it's my bukla. <laughs> and, did did it know, fit into the bug? I, oh, yeah. No, no way. Really? Oh, no. It, it, it folded down. It was one of those wonderful fold down. Oh, yeah. You know, with the nice wood panels. And it fit into the one of the, that white. Uh, that white case know, travel case, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Parker Parker case, yeah. But it was the the case, the the cardboard that he shipped it in was no bigger than that case. I mean, there was no padding. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And I'll never forget, like sliding it out in the in the living room of my parents' house, flipping it open, and going, "I I just I just landed in heaven. I've never seen anything so beautiful in my life." Yeah. Yeah, you you'd sent me a photo of it um, uh, several months ago, and so yeah, Robert and I are, are looking at it now. And and you got a you had a Marf in there, which I think, I mean, I guess you knew about Su- Suzanne at that point. And what year was this? Was this about like six? This would be uh, seventy six. Okay, at this point. Um, yeah, I had no idea what the Marf was, and it, this this came with no documentation. Zero. Yeah. So imagine trying wow. to look at a Marf and going, I think it's a sequencer. <laughs> but where are the rows? There's like two rows, you know, sequencers, you know, a Bukla sequence has got four or five rows. What's going on here? But yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of experimentation between when that arrived and when I ended up in coming to New York. But I, I, I worked at that thing you know, 12 hours a day for, for months and months and months till I felt like I could pretty much synthesize anything at that point. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're out of college, you got this system, like kind of, and you, yeah, spend months learning it. Are you, um, are you looking for like commercial jobs and stuff? Cause you, you know, you're looking up to Suzanne. Um, was that your goal at that point or was it just to kind of be an artist and, and play events with it? Actually, no. It was it was commercial. Okay. Um, even before I had left Pittsburgh, I had done a lot of commercial music. I was the music director for Pittsburgh's main stage, Equity main stage, and 
did music for Shakespeare productions and all kinds of different stuff. So when I got this instrument, I, I wanted to come to New York and use it to make money. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write music for commercials, I, anything. I did, but the concept was, is that this is my, my instrument. This is going to give me an edge in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it was a big investment, and it was an investment in yourself, for sure, and kind of giving yourself some identity. Um, did people take to it well right off yeah. the bat when you kind of went to New York? Yeah. I mean, it took me a long time to kind of establish myself, you know, years, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up doing mainly commercials. But then kind of in the middle of building that in 1981, I got asked to write a theme song. Uh, mm-hmm. for a, a new kids TV show. Um, and my wife and I, actually we were we were just friends at the time, but now she's my wife, Janet Weir, and I, along with a, a along with another friend, Dennis Kleinman, we we wrote this theme song for this new pilot of a kids TV show, which turned out to be Reading Rainbow, which was a show that was on PBS for about 25 years. And, and that kind of yeah. became my career. I yeah. was the music music director for Reading Rainbow. I think any kid from the U.S. growing up in the the eighties and nineties, like that that song is seared into our brains. And yes. I, apolo- I apologize for that, Kyle. <laughs> right? I mean, it's great. No, because it, it stayed. It wasn't. You know, with some some kids um, shows, and then, and I think actually later, like nineties and stuff, like um, it was more grating. <laughs> We're like, no, this is just a good song. Like, and uh, I was. I don't know. I was blown away that when I first learned that I, I listened to some interview with you uh, a few years ago and you had mentioned doing that on the book labs and that was the Marf, um, that kind of opening uh, sequence of the song just, you know, blew my mind. You know, if, um, if you got a royalty for every time that song becomes an earworm, yeah. you'd be a, a billionaire probably. <laughs> Because it's definitely in my head right now. <laughs> Probably in everybody's listening to this. Yeah, it has that something about that song. I don't know where it came from, but you know, those things happen. Somehow, being in the right place at the right time with the right melody—I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It was—it was quite the uh, amazing thing. And you know, that Marf intro actually—it was a big part of that song becoming popular. Because you know, I, I gave it a full maybe eight or nine seconds because the whole concept for me was to create something so unusual in the beginning and so beautiful and uh, attention grabbing that when kids hear, heard it, they would come running to the TV set before the actual song started itself. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's wonder inciting. I think like, yeah, you you nailed it (laughs) for sure. Do you, you still remember, Working on that and kind of the patch. Oh, totally. I could recreate it right now. Wow. Come, if I had a Marv. <laughs> oh, man. We got it. But you know what? With the arpeggiator on the easel, I can kind of approximate it, you know? I want to drill in on this because, like, I don't know. I, it's so funny to think I've, you know, I've heard it a thousand times. But um, are you, like, are you double gating the, um, the sound to kind of make the fluttering uh, effect of it? No. Um, okay. The it, it went through. Well, first of all, as you know, the morph can read through the same set of notes or voltages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, with two different, you know, uh, what, lanes what, of the sequencer. Two different yeah. lanes, you know, and and they were both set up. So basically, I, I picked a, a a group of notes, and this is what made them more so amazing. If you think about the year, right? Yeah. In the in the 70s when he designed this thing, the fact that it wasn't a linear sequencer, I mean, that was completely mind blowing. There was nothing like it in the world. The mm-hmm. fact that you could randomly access the position of the sequencer. Yeah. And then by triggering it with something maybe at a quite you know at a different rhythm than what was going on there, you could create the most amazing random patterns. That was just unheard of. It was the only thing that could do it. So yeah. basically, I had a set of notes. I had the two morph sections of, <laughs> uh, randomly accessing that set of notes, and then it went through a couple of digital delays. I remember I used square waves and, of course, the uh, the low-pass setting on the low-pass gates. Mm-hmm. And that became the opening. And the, actually, the driving rhythm, because it goes throughout the whole song. It just yeah. you know kind of... It gets sublimated as all the other instruments come in, and the yeah. vocals, of course. It floats along, along with that butterfly. Yeah, uh, exactly what it was. That you, you yeah. nailed it. That's exactly the was that that was supposed to symbolize the butterfly. Yeah, so cool, very cool. And then you worked on that show for its entire run, right? Yeah, we wrote, we wrote the theme song originally in '81. We redid it to the version that we're talking about now in 83. Okay. For because it, you know, it, it, the first one was a demo. Gotcha. And I worked on that show till uh through 2008. Wow. So, I had this wonderful position of being a composer and knowing where my money was coming from for years. I mean, it's unheard of. I was I, I feel very blessed. Very blessed for that whole experience. And that was it a weekly show? Or? When it first came on, it was a daily show. Yeah. So uh, you had to really ramp up. I'm guessing it was in seasons. Was it like 26 episode seasons? or? Nah, they, they I, I can't remember. <clears throat> yeah. It was, they, were, they only made 165 episodes uh, oh, okay. or 175 over that period of time. Some seasons we only made five episodes. Other seasons we made 15 Mm-hmm. It just, there was a lot of, uh, you know, lean years, shall we say? Okay. When the funding didn't come through and they could only afford to do so many. Yeah. That, that's what I was just thinking about, the funding for the endowment and such for public, yeah. radio, you know, public TV in the 80s was, 80s and 90s was kind of rough. Yeah, yeah I rough guess for, for, for listeners that um, <laughs> didn't grow up during this time or not in the U.S., it, it's a, it was on uh, PBS, right? Yes, yeah. So that was production. Um, yeah, public funded. So, so yeah, I guess it, it wouldn't necessarily have the standard for most shows, like on a ABC or NBC or something like that. Yeah, um, no commercials. And yeah. and and they, it didn't make any money. They weren't selling Lavar dolls. You know, <laughs> not until later and for a different yeah, show. Right. Yeah. You know, this was this was just a beautiful show to promote reading, and. The people that made the money were the were the publishers of the books that they featured, but uh, Reading mm. Rainbow didn't take in anything from from its success. It depended entirely upon funding, and that's what made it so so darn beautiful to work with. There wasn't like a commercial thing going on here. It was all about love, and when mm-hmm. that love spreads through the production from Lavar down, 
through the music. I mean, when I worked on those shows, I was just feeling feeling the love, man. It was great. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. We should have LeVar on the show to tell us about what it was like to hear, <laughs> hear the Reading Rainbow theme. Well, that's... Uh... He's going to be tough to get, though. Yeah, kind of busy. I could ask him for you. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of those things that has followed him around. That's become his theme song in a lot of yeah. ways. Yeah. And yeah. I think he's probably angry at me for that. So <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I didn't ask you to write the soundtrack to my life. <laughs> it sounds like since there were some lean years and stuff like that, I'm guessing you had time to um, to take on other jobs as well. And are you still kind of performing during that? that yeah, well, time? that was that was the cool part about coming to New York is that I had this bukla, and I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna you know do commercial music, and it happened, which is like a total mind, you know what? It, uh, <laughs> I, I said, now what? And yeah, so um, I met this incredible guy who ran uh, uh, something called the Public Access Synthesizer Studio which was a place in New York City where, where people could access synthesizers. Uh, oh, wow. His name was Gregory Kramer. And, and Gregory, every summer, got grants to create what he called at the time the electronic music mobile. And uh, a lot of – Suzanne actually played with them at one point uh, before I came. Uh, mm -hmm. Richard, Richard Teitelbaum also, the, the fellow who actually just died yesterday. Yeah. A lot of a lot of famous people played in the uh, the electronic music mobile, and he got grants to tour all the parks in New York City and Washington Square and Central Park and different schools, whatever it was, uh, and that um, evolved into what was called the electronic art ensemble, which was kind of a steady band. the The music mobile was kind of a pickup band, uh, mm -hmm. but I I kind of got involved with it with the electronic art ensemble. And that was uh, me and Greg who started it, and a great player, Clive Smith. Uh, and uh, we sent all of our signals to a, a guy on stage who also mixed on stage and had all these digital delays and panning things. His name was Russ Storwart. And we played through huge loud speakers. They had 18-inch <laughs> woofers. <laughs> nice. And uh, we played really loud, and it was really wonderfully textural and very, you know, dissonant at times and beautiful at mm -hmm. other times. And uh, became quite popular in New York, and we toured all up and down the East Coast and Canada and played Carnegie Recital Hall, uh, got reviewed by the New York Times, you know, put out wow. an album that Bob Moog did the loner, liner notes for. Uh <laughs> And uh, that became, we rehearsed every week. We, we rehearsed every week and we were really tight. We played, created compositions that we could repeat over and over again, no matter how abstract they were. Yeah, I was going to say, like, did you have kind of, um, yeah, a, a set of songs or if it was all um, improvise, improvised music or not? A so. lot of the ideas were created through improvisation. Mm -hmm. But when we hit on something that we liked, we'd say, okay, stop, everybody stop. Look what you're doing. Remember what you just did, because that is freaking awesome. Yeah, take, <laughs> we want to be able to take, repeat that. Take a Polaroid of your uh, of your settings, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I, we would do that. You know, we would write down everything. You know, and as you had to do, as people yeah. still do, uh, unless you have a 200 E system. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so what were you? A, so were you bringing your whole setup out for that, or did you have other instruments that you're bringing out? Well, I had the 200 series. I had a uh, Oberheim uh, four voice with the four SEM modules and the memory unit, so you could recall Whoa. patches, which was wow. really cool. Oh man, that's a beautiful synthesizer. Oh, God. I I had two of them. Oh, <laughs> it's, it, was I, that so you I, could all, do the move where you have it on either side of you, so you can? No, no. One was for my studio, <laughs> right? Because I had to have one that that I knew was going to be there, and the other one was for when we were touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would give anything to get those back. Oh. I, I've, you know, I've I've been I went through two of those. I went through a buckle. I went through three fair lights. Uh, I can I can and. <laughs> I <laughs> I just thought that, you know, those things were just old technology and they are, but still. Yeah. You know, the Fairlight retail was pretty close to the price of a Ferrari 308. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. Well, so that's I, why people like Peter Gabriel had them. But then the okay. prices plunged a little bit later into the eighties as the technology got out of date and people wanted the X sevens and, and so on. Wow. But that's a topic for another show. Yeah, Fairlights. They were awesome, man. They yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's Fairlight on that original uh, Reading Rainbow song too. Oh, okay. Is that like kind of the like the the kind of bass almost like an orchestra hits that come in? Yeah, like like one. there's like like brass kind of hits. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and there's Oberheim on there too uh, for, for the, like the electronic little stings and stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, as a Commercial composer, commercial meaning earning money for your work. Um, and as the eighties went on, did you did you continue using your book? I mean, you mentioned you had Oberheim and a Fairlight, but moving well or more into the eighties, when you know storing presets would have been more important, and new types of technology was coming out. Did you stick with your bookla for a while, or did you sell it off at some point and embrace the the new technology at the time? Yeah, that's exactly what happened, Robert. Oh, man. I had to. Suddenly, you know, the world was all about MIDI and recording audio and racks full of MIDI gear and being able to quickly set up. Or like, for instance, if you're doing a, a, a TV series, which I, you know, I did three or four different ones, sometimes all at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, you had to be able to quickly set up and bring up your quote-unquote orchestra for that particular series and start writing synchronizing it to picture and and using a computer to do that. So everything became much more in the box. And that's mm-hmm. when I started using programs like Logic. Yeah. Two like Logic 2.5 or wherever I started in that process. Uh, because it suddenly uh, I would maybe use the Buchla occasionally. It would sit kind of lonely over on the side of the studio <laughs> and I would look over at it and I would, you know, I would I would I felt guilty, quite frankly, that I wasn't using it. That 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 instrument changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't really depend on it anymore. It you know, yeah. it, it was old at that point, right? By the I'm talking about the the nineties now, really, Robert. Right. That's what yeah. I was thinking about. Because that in the nineties is that's when the technology reached a point on the personal computer where you could use, really could use logic. You know, the stuff on the Atari ST in the 80s was great, but uh, by the 90s it was, with you know, really reached a, a great point where even home producers could do some stuff. And one of yeah, my I'm friends, 
who's a film composer. He was, um, we were look, we were talking about pictures of gear that folks post on Reddit and he was really surprised by all the different stuff that we have, like what I have in my studio, because for him, he just has a, a giant montage, you know, Yamaha montage and a bunch of ESTs because he can't play with a bunch of different gear and make it all work together in order to meet his two week deadline for a commercial show. You, and, you totally um, nailed it. That's exactly right. I mean, yeah, it's like it took all the fun out, but you know, I got to pay the bills. <laughs> and, and and by that time, the only reason I was using the bukla was to play, you know, new music, avant-garde music. You know, it wasn't like commercial anymore for me. It was kind of going back to its roots, right? In order mm-hmm. to get it to work commercially, you had to work really hard because, uh, as you guys know, that staying in tune only lasted for about seventeen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's atonal. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, you know, to do that, uh, that, you know, any kind of sequence and you had to like stay in tune and you didn't have much time. So, you know, things started breaking that the, 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 the uh, touch activated voltage source, I guess the 218, this wasn't an E system uh, that, that had a lot of issues. The MARF only scanned through one of its, you know, sides. It wasn't doing, mm-hmm. uh, there were lots of problems. I had to replace Vactrols all the time. I still have a, a big box of Vactrols lying around in my toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> so this was so kind of early 90s or so it started to break down? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was about then that I uh, I hit a slow part in my career, actually, mm-hmm. and thought, well, you know, and I'm not, I'm not using it, and there's probably someone who would like to use it and would like to fix it, uh, so yeah. I'll sell it. You know, I needed the money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was able to sell it for double what I paid for it, even back then. Oh, that's uh, and pretty it, nice. Yeah. And it went to uh, Danny Carey of the band Tool. And if oh, whoa. In, his, in his studio, he's got my original 200 series. It looks exactly the same. Wow, still has it. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as I know, I haven't been to his studio, but I've seen pictures. That's very cool. Yeah, he's playing with like the Marimba Lumina. Um, live on stage and stuff too. That's pretty, that's pretty neat. Um, yeah, I guess I, I've kind of heard that from a couple of people that have the older systems. It seems, seems like you can get about 15 years out of it or so <laughs> before yeah. it, it started to kind of need, need work. Yeah, it was tough. Um, Don sent me all the schematics and there was someone in New York who could actually fix stuff. But if I wasn't using it enough, then I kind of fell behind on the maintenance between you and me and the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I take fault in that. Um, but it comes a point where you just can't do everything. No, totally. So, um, so yeah, obviously there's a, there's a gap between you selling it and then you did jump back in at some point um, with the 200E series. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly but- right. About seven years ago. I guess at this point, six or seven years ago, I, I acquired a system and uh, fell in love all over again. It's a Skylab size, right? Ten space. Yeah, it's just a Skylab size. I mean, I was so intrigued with the idea of the preset manager. I, I figured I could pretty much do whatever I wanted with less. Um, and and the way I, I use the instrument is is I think of it more as like an an instrument rather than as a collection of modules. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, you, you're on the right show for that. 
Yeah. I, I'm not much of a tweaker. Let me put it that way. I, I only want to have sound come out of it when I'm touching it. Yeah. So I, I've always thought of my bukla as kind of a playable instrument rather than uh, necessarily kind of set it and forget it and maybe turn a knob every once in a while. It's just not my style. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you use? We talked about presets on the last show a little bit. How do you use the presets? Are you are you using them as patch storage, or do you cycle through them during a performance, or how do you how do you what do you like about them? I like cycling through them through a performance. Yeah, um, I can quickly go from uh, with my two twenty two. What is that called? The uh, multi dimensional uh, kinesthetic input port. Yeah, we did a show about it a few months ago. Uh, that that is that is just a, a great controller. So what I'm doing is uh, I can tune it right. Every one of those pads I can tune to any kind of different scale I want. Uh, mm-hmm. So I can I can be extremely tonal with it, but then you hit a preset and all the pads do something completely different, or other pads become more active and can get very noisy and textural. So yeah, during a performance, I'm, I'm constantly changing presets. But the trick on that, right, is to create a patch to from the very beginning that can work with all those presets. Right. Right, and that's that's kind of the catch, right? How do you yeah. how do you just how do you design a patch that can like play pretty music, and also play dissonant music? Yeah, Robert and I have been chatting about that, and this kind of around the. Um, the signal router to the 210. Um, and yeah, just thinking about like what, cause you don't repatch it. You have it all patched up and you're just cycling. So you're, you're basically repatching it by, by cycling through your presets and you know, the signal router is like an extension of that, but, but yeah, like we've kind of meant, or we've, we spoke before about it. it's, it's, such a deeper level of like <laughs> trying to play 14 steps ahead of yeah. of what you think you might do someday with it. And, um, it, yeah. Yeah. It, when you, when you, th- when you, when you use the, uh, the, the matrix, what's it called again? The, uh, the 210 E control and signal router. Yes. Yeah. The, it, yeah. it adds a, another level of complexity. It definitely adds another level of complexity. Um, but I, I, I believe what you said is absolutely true. I've, 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 I set up a patch and I evolve that patch. Um, and sometimes that makes me have to redo all of my presets to get them to act the way I want them to. And so mm-hmm. it's not like I set it and forget it. I kind of set it and tweak it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a constant, uh, kind of a growth thing you know it's like if i'm feeling like it's not quite doing it for me i'll I'll go i'll start diving in and making the adjustments i need to make to to really get what i want out of it Mm -hmm. yeah and you've got like uh you have the is it the polygot the eurorack um conversion module in there yeah i have a a couple of blades and a a poly polyglot right yeah that, that was the newest version of the bukla blade adapter yeah, I, I have those. In fact, I just took, I had inside my Bukla, this, you know, actually this morning, I had a couple of uh, mutable instruments modules, rings and clouds, and maybe mm-hmm. a, yeah, I forget what else I had in their plates, I think. Um, and I'm always trying to, you know, 
seeing how that works with the bukla sound because I've always loved the way the bukla sounds with um, strings, like pluck strings. There's something about the bukla sound and pluck strings that, to me that just really excite me as a musician. So mm-hmm. that you know, when I bring rings into it, I try to do stuff, but I, I always end up taking them out and keeping Eurorack where it belongs mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah. putting bukla modules back in. I, I'm afraid I'm, I'm a bit of a purist. Um, in fact, I don't... <laughs> That's fine. I, I only at this point in time I only use Bukla modules made by Bukla. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's very purist, isn't it? It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes drool over the other ones. Yeah, like <laughs> the um, Studio H control and signal router, which is Doug Clotter's implement the version of a signal router that's similar to the two ten E. I don't want to say it's based on it because it's not, but it has touch. It's a touch buttons instead of navigating through LEDs mm. and it's analog. So you can mm. send pitch through it and you won't get, you know, voltage drop. So right. you can route pitch to a whole bunch of different things from it, which is really nice, especially for switching between presets, not to, you know, try to make you <laughs> move out of a pure Buchla system, but there are some really interesting choices out there uh, for folks who are, you know, getting into this and especially for stuff that's kind of hard to find. Some of the older modules can be can be pretty tough to acquire, and you know you can get a, something new that is a newer implementation of it. Yeah, I and I totally agree. I love I love the stuff that he's making, and and there's really some really great stuff out there. It's just my personal choice. Sure, I, mean, I have I have a, a large Euro rack system, so if I need to get a different type of sound, I I'll go there. Uh, I just, I'm kind of pure to, I'm, I'm trying to stay pure to the Bukla aesthetic, mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. I think of it as, as, as kind of a, an instrument makers kind of world. And I yeah. want to respect that. Yeah. And it all came from one brain. So yeah, it makes sense that it, it should all kind of work together as it does. Uh, Kyle and I talked about for episode 10.5. Um, which came out last or earlier this earlier this week. We talked about a module I have that is um it's a Keen Association 268E, which is a really neat module of four oscillators and has all these really cool stuff. And it we were talking about how or I was saying that I struggled a bit because I always made basically the same sound on it, which is really about me, not about the module. But it um, dominated a lot of my uh, compositions on my bootclub. And I think to your point, when you have the, you know, the 261E and the 259E for your oscillators, you're getting the, you always get the Buchla sound, whatever your implementation of it may be. But, you know, it, it for me, those two modules, especially the 261, it doesn't dominate the way that some of the other, like, you know, mutable instruments, plats or braids or a DPO or really any of the other, you know, sound sources. It, the 261 doesn't seem to dominate the way that some of the alternative um, oscillators do. So you make a good point there. And I've been experimenting that with that myself with just using my 261E and 259E in my large system and trying to figure out ways to um, get more timbres out of that and not just lock into my assumptions about what it should sound like, you know, cycling the wave folder or something like that. So it makes for some, those limitations are also extremely unlimited to use kind of a silly metaphor. 
<laughs> no, no, I, I, I love that metaphor. I, I heard that episode you were talking about, right? Uh, 10.5. And I wasn't familiar with that Keen module. And I went to look at it and it's like, oh man, that looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I love it. Um, I, I, and I, 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 I'm not against any of that stuff. And maybe if I had a bigger system, I, I might bend a little bit more. Uh, but I, uh, you know, I, I, the, for instance, the twisted waveform generator, that, that to me is, a, that's, that's a tough module for me. I'm mm -hmm. having a, I have a hard time with that one. And I, I have to believe that it's, it's me and not the module. I mean, the aesthetic I've been leaning towards hasn't made it easy to use in my system, but I just put it back in today with the promise to myself, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this sucker sing the way I want it to sing, <laughs> you know, because it's it, right now it's dominating me and I want to dominate it. Yeah. 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 See, you know? that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about, you know, and I used the 259E before we did the episode about it. I kind of used it the same way because I, I figured out what worked for me. And it, after a while I was like, oh, this is really boring. I think I'm going to sell it. And we did the episode about it where Kyle came in fresh and having never even used one. And I was like, I, I, you know, we started exploring it together and all these new things happened. And I thought, man, this is amazing. That's great. Uh, I love that. Yeah. yeah it's an, so it's, an, it's a gnarly beast. So I, I yeah, you know, knowing your music, Steve, like I can see how you, yeah, you're, you're fighting with it, but. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out, Kyle. I'm gonna totally yeah. figure it out. You know? yeah. I tried it with um, doing percussion, like a little bit outside my comfort area. I don't really do percussion in my bootleg, but I thought I'm gonna use the 259E as a you know percussion with the really cool um, wavetable thing, you know, in that in the upper mode. I forgot what it's called, where you're scanning. Oh, with skew, MIMSKU, and then sending that you know through the 292E in LPG mode or in VCA mode, and just rapidly tapping that and it makes for some really interesting sounds. You know, I think I would like it more if I could voltage control those modes too. Yeah. Well, you should listen to the 259E <laughs> episode. We talk about that and we do some stuff that we shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me curious. I'll have to dive back into that one. <laughs> um, so you are going to perform on this episode. I am. And so I'm thinking I, like, well, since we've been talking about the system, we should, we should hear it. Ah, okay. I can, uh, I can do something on the easel or I could do something on the, uh, 200 E. What would you like? Oh man. Um, I mean, I, I, I always like to default and say, you know, put it up to you and what you're, what you're feeling. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll do something. Since we've been talking about the 200 D, I'll do, I'll do something with that. Yeah. That's my vote. That that was that was gonna be my vote too. So you know. <laughs> okay, well, let me have a moment here to uh, set this up, and I'll be ready to go pretty shortly. All right.
Yeah, so here. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Little improvisation on the 200e with the uh, and the twisted waveform generator is in there, right? Nope. No. Oh, I thought no, you put not 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 patched not in yet. at all. Gotcha. So, no. what, what were your sound sources then? Uh, one oscillator. Wow. Wow. Hmm. And how many? A, um, a, a how simple, com, uh, complex waveform generator. Uh, so now I'm curious, how many presets did you go through? Uh, on that one, I didn't actually. Okay, so it's all all just the one. Pack. That was a one one preset that has a lot of diversity based on bringing in different types of modulation using the uh, the uh, you know the two twenty two. <laughs> the multi-dimensional kinesthetic input port yeah we got but, tired of saying that <laughs> i love that i mean again I, I i know i told kyle this the other day is that i love the names oh, the yeah, numbers the numbers don't mean anything to people who don't know bukla yeah but when you say multiple kinesthetic input port people go "Ooh, i want one of those <laughs> But but it's being played through my my world, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk lot going on here that is yeah, behind us, the scenes. Tell us about that. Uh, I, oh, I, don't, I don't even know how to begin. This is a massive logic project um, where I go into logic's environment. Do you guys know anything about mm-hmm. that? It's, yep. it's kind of like Max, but for MIDI only. Yeah. And I reroute uh, all kinds of things are going on here. I reroute Logic's modulators to control surround pannings. Uh, uh-oh. Sorry about that. Let me shut this down. He's doing another performance for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a piece of mine. It's my ringtone. Surprise reading thing. rainbow isn't your ringtone. It's very similar, <laughs> isn't it? Is that the that may be the theme of my life, unfortunately. It's on that call. Answer it. Find out who it is. <laughs> <laughs> I could keep going with that. You could be talking if you answer it. <laughs> oh my there? gosh. Your phone is ringing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Thanks for that, Steve. I appreciate the, the opportunity to perform for you. I love it, man. I love it, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, getting back to my logic project here. <laughs> this is something that I've developed over probably six or seven years. It's a very complicated logic project. I've got uh, 10 Augustus loops, uh, which is a you know a plugin made by uh, Expert Sleeper. Mm. Uh Five of those are dedicated uh, to actually just recording a asymmetrical loops of any length and sending them. Uh, I use Logic to do all my panning, right? So sending them in all kinds of different p- patterns. A lot of it being spiraling patterns. Start in the center and swirl out to the edges and swirl back in again. So okay. in a surround environment, it's it's kind of cool. So do and the others are circling uh, clockwise. Some are doing counterclockwise and some of them are random um i also have uh five of those augustus loops just to capture things and send them into infinity as they slowly get further away change timbre and and do a doppler shift in their in their uh in the timbre itself so you really have a sense that phases are changing and and things are moving off into kind of an infinite pyramid cathedral of a space. Uh, I use different shimmer reverbs. I, I do a lot of outboard processing. Uh, it's pretty massive and it's all controlled with a very small MIDI controller that's the size of a, you know, it's like three inches by 10 inches. Mm. And Okay, so it does it have like little sliders on it? It's got sliders, it's got yeah. knobs, it's got buttons and all of those come in, all of those come into Logic's environment and get remapped to lots of different things to open up sends, to close sends, to trigger yeah. reverbs on and off, to shut things down, to open things up. I think I've seen uh, um, seen you use that in a video recently. Um, so okay, so when you say kind of the the second section of loops, you're kind of using those as delays in a way, right? Yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's like a massive delay, but instead of having one delay line, it's five separate ones, each with different pannings each with different, uh, uh, they're based on actually Fibonacci ratios. Oh, cool. So it, it, it kind of gives you a, a natural 
kind of way to move sound around at different frequencies. And so had you kind of been using this, um, your world, as you, as you call it, this, um, with instruments before you got your Buchla? Or was this kind of designed no. with your Buchla? No, okay. this was designed for a ver- to make a lot out of a very small Buchla system. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job of it because your stuff always sounds so massive. Yeah, thanks. It's, um, it's you know, I, I, I want to be able to do a lot of different things. And it can be massive. It can be very gentle and, 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 and crystalline. And I can... Uh, I invite people into my world, so to speak, to perform with me. And so we can capture loops together and they can go off into their own part of my system and capture their own loops. And, and they're, it's all synchronized via MIDI so that rhythmically, if indeed you want to play rhythmically, uh, everything will kind of line up. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. um, I did that recently with uh, Greg Kramer, uh, who was out on the East Coast, and I brought my whole quad I also have my own PA system, my own quad PA system to a, a monastery where Greg is a Buddhist uh, uh, monk or leader who mm-hmm. was doing seminars. And after he was done, we, we played some crazy music together. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, you were in the ensemble with him together, right? He's the one that, that was, kind of yeah, started that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. For 30 years ago or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so this was our first play, time playing together in probably 30 years. That's great. And you recorded some stuff with him? Is that, that We skin- did. Yeah. We recorded everything. And it's it's amazing. It's like, you know, you know how if you have like a really good friend or even a close cousin and you haven't seen them in a long time, mm-hmm. but you had a d- deep relationship with that person and 30 years can pass or even five years and you get together and it's like no time has ever passed. Mm-hmm. Have you ever mm-hmm. had that experience? Yeah. It was one of those kind of spiritual experiences. You know, we shared so much music and, and just love of music together that when we got together, it's like nothing changed. It was, it was just miraculous. It was great. And we're going to, uh, uh, we've talked to a couple labels who have, who have, are actually interested in releasing it that we haven't decided on anyone yet or oh, whether cool. we want to self-release, but mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely going to be coming out this year. That's that's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And then I also got a sneak peek of um, what's coming out next, which is uh, Oceana, correct? Oceana, absolutely. And that's a good piece um, of, yeah, 17 minutes of uh, kind of take yeah, uh, diving to the depths of the ocean. I feel like when I I hear it and then back up again. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's quite the journey that you take us on when listening to that piece. Um, and so tell me also because you also kind of really thought out kind of changing into different modes and stuff as you're going through uh, that piece. Tell us about coming up with that. Yeah, um, Oceana is kind of an extension of my fascination with uh, helical shapes, spirals, eddies, currents, everything in nature. Not everything, lots of things in nature. I can hear my wife going, don't use everything and nothing is everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love love it. Um, Lots of things in nature are based on on, on, on spirals. Mm Mm-hmm different types of spirals, uh, uh, helical shapes, 
you know, the way plants grow, uh, the way the uh, currents move in the ocean, the way uh, DNA for, is, is a helical shape. It's the way currents, uh, cyclones, right? The most obvious one. Uh, so I'm, I'm always been fascinated with that. And so um, in, a, in, a, in Oceana, what I've attempted to do was to use my a version of my world, I call it my logic processing world, that's all based on these kind of different uh, helical ratios to, to create spirals. And then I'm taking that and creating what I'm calling a tone poem, where I start out on the surface, I plunge deeper and deeper, I experience different levels of the ocean. And mm-hmm. mind you, this is all done in surround. So the audience is completely enveloped in this world. Uh, and I play it really loud and it's just, uh, it's wonderful. Um, uh, and in order to capture the emotions of what I'm trying to do, I am using different um, music modes. For instance, it starts out uh, uh, with a kind of a bubbly sound using the, uh, what is it? What is the uh, triple waveform, uh, the triple filter? Oh yeah, the 291E triple yeah. morphing filter, yeah. In fact, I can play a little piece of that right now. Let me just show you what it, how it starts out. Triple morphing filter. used to create that kind of bubbling sound so that's how yeah. oceana kind of s- starts out and then it, from there it goes into some beautiful modes i start off in the i take it from the pentatonic mode which you hear there and then i go into the lydian mode which is, that is where a very like sub- a, lot, a lot of shimmer kind of comes in um just before just as it's starting to come in yes yeah. exactly yeah and what's really great about that mode is that it works perfectly with the pentatonic mode, because the pentatonic mode doesn't have the fourth of the scale. I don't know if there's any music theorists out there. Mm-hmm. But um, so when you bring in a, uh, a Lydian mode, it has that sharped fourth that leads you to the fifth. That's what makes the Lydian mode so. Uh, it's a major mode, but it has a sharp fifth. As in, if it's key of C major, that would be an F sharp. Uh, so you can introduce it right after a pentatonic mode and it just changes it, it the pentatonic mode is completely intact and it just adds this extra little little lift and little tiny tiny little dissonance that uh creates an otherworldly effect we call it the john williams mode i mean john williams yeah. always uses that when he does his scoring for star wars etc yeah it um it goes back to mahler a bit too uh yeah and the planets yeah. right Sibelius. Yeah. Gotta love those early 20th century composers. Yeah, there's a lot to learn there, when, especially yeah. when it comes to tonality. And from there, it goes into other modes and starts getting into uh, lots of uh, FM and AM modulation to create gong-like sounds. And as you go deeper, it, I play with those and bring up yeah, my sh- I, I like it when you really get to the bottom, the depths of the <laughs> of the ocean and and uh, the reverbs kind of make it more, everything feel more distant. The kind of shimmer goes away and 
and yeah, like kind of mm. those gongs you're saying, it's um, a lot of deep bass notes and stuff coming out. It's, um, yeah, it's great. It's a lot of fun. You guys will have to come to New York and play in my world sometime. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. Actually, uh, um, Todd uh, Todd Barton um, is going to. Uh, we're going to do a duet together, a duet wow. recording. That will be awesome. And so, man, so you've got a lot of stuff coming out. You've got these duets that you've been working on, um, and you're hoping to have this out, Oceana, out to the public when? I think it's. I'm going to uh, probably by the time this is broadcast. In fact, guaranteed by the time this is broadcast, it will be available uh, through uh, uh, the different music stores, whether it be Amazon or Spotify or iTunes, but also on my website. Great. Uh, actually, on my Bandcamp, which is Steve H Music. Okay, and then you you're also working on some easel stuff too, right? Yeah, I've been playing with the easel creating what I'm calling for now, like easel etudes. Um, yep. They're like uh, highly rhythmic, highly tonal, uh, looping rhythmic patterns. It's something I, I really haven't done a lot of. Uh, and um, I'm kind of enjoying it. It's, uh, I, I, I love the sound of the easel. I love playing it. I love the, uh, the touch activated voltage source. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the easel to me is like one of those perfect little instruments. I, I can't wait to get a hold of a, a, a 208C. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much different it feels, if any, but also kind of, yeah, having those extra features to access. Yeah, yeah. and the, the better and deeper MIDI implementation will be really cool too. Totally. I'd want to play with that. Because everything I do is locked to my laptop in MIDI in some way or another, whether I use it or not. So speaking of Logic and MIDI, because, um, you know, you, you've done a ton with Logic over the years. And I hear that you have a very nice resource that people can leverage to learn about different things like Logic Pro and Todd Barton's Buchla videos. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I, I've been involved with a company uh, for about 15 years called Mac Pro Video. Um, we are the largest independent uh, online community for people who want to learn about audio. Um, and we cover every DAW. Uh, we have over 2,000 courses led by professionals uh, who really know how to teach. And one of those teachers is the great Todd Barton. He does a, is a fantastic easel course and a fantastic uh, 200 e-course where he goes through every, not every module, but most of the modules. And as you know, Todd, he just does a great job. But yeah. instead of just doing like one-off videos, this is like full courses uh, designed with a curriculum in mind and with the learners in mind. And um, they're fantastic. We also have uh, Eurorack courses and teach every DAW. And if you're interested in other creative things, we do filmmaking and and uh, video editing and uh, script writing and storyboarding and mixing and mastering and you name it, it's there. So yeah, I've been doing that for about 15 years along with uh, my partner, Mark Sitter, who started the company. I've plugged uh, Todd's Mac Pro Video 200E course a few times on the show. I, I still refer back to it when I'm trying to remember kind of one of the 
the core concepts just because of the way he explains it. It's, it just reinforces that knowledge, you know, that we have in the back of our heads. So I recommend that for, you know, people who get a Skylab or really, you know, any of the, um, the 200E modules, because he goes pretty deep into them. Deep, just deep enough, though, you know, like just deep enough so that you can start to figure out what to do without feeling like you're in a class being taught a bunch of stuff that you're going to have to try to remember later. So I really like, I highly recommend those uh, Todd's videos for folks on the Mac Pro video site. Yeah, he did a great job. He really did. He did. He's a natural educator. I really like, and I love his voice. We talk about Todd like every episode. He always gets a little <laughs> embarrassed, but. <laughs> I think like it's a, true. I think he's in every one of your episodes. <laughs> yeah, he's the patron, patron saint of Bukla. I think. I think we need to start like a, uh, you know, a, like a drinking game with the podcast. Every time Todd Barton's mentioned on the show. Oh, right. You got to <laughs> knock one back. Yeah. yeah. A shot of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Right. From here on out, we're going to start that. And feel free to go back and listen to old episodes. <laughs> Just get wasted. <laughs> The best one to do that if you don't want to get drunk is with Todd on the show because we don't say his name a whole bunch of times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But what fun would that be? Nah. <laughs> we'll, like, we'll, we'll transition. If we, if we say Krell or something like that, then. Yeah, or then Easel. Can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's, yeah, and that, that's, uh, I think, you know, we're in the middle of a COVID-19 lockdown um, and it's, I, I've feel like I run into a lot of people that are like, well, yeah, I'm stuck at home. So I should probably do that thing that I've been meaning to do because now I have the time. So, um, yeah, I think there's probably a ton on your site for people to dig into and, and, uh, yeah, learn about script writing or the 200 E system um, <laughs> or logic or logic. Or yeah. logic yeah. yeah. We're really known for our, uh, our vast library of logic, uh, courses. And now that logic is free, did you guys know that? Yeah, for it's the free. next uh, yep. until I think the end of May, Amazing. you can download it for free if, if you go to the Apple dot com slash logic page. I, I can't uh, believe it, that logic is you know two hundred bucks. It's already free, right? Yeah, I mean, it practically <laughs> for a professional system like that, you know, it's wild because compare it to something like Pro Tools, which has quite a barrier of entry for folks but it's also more pro than some of the other um DAWs you know that are intended more for producing or something they're all great I'm, nobody needs to write me to tell me that reaper or something is just as good as law I'm, I'm just expressing my opinion here <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going down that rabbit hole yeah, man Watch out. Carefully. <laughs> but for something like um for mac users you know i love logic because it the midi implementation for composing with midi is just I love it for that with the MIDI environment. My DAW is actually Studio One, so I ju I jump between the two, depending mm. on what I need. You know, not to go off on a tangent, but Logic's AU stuff with you know MIDI effects and, and that's gotten me kind of annoyed. So, but for just about everything else, I love it. But you know, yeah. your site had courses for both, so I watched the Studio One stuff and I watched the Logic stuff and I watched the Ableton yeah. stuff. Yeah. And uh, another cool DAW is Bitwig. Yeah, I played with that because it came free with something that I bought, so I installed it, and it's really interesting. I like and its they layout. now have that that whole modular environment they built into Bitwig that you can use your sense to control. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I think I have five DAWs installed on my Mac. Studio God, One, Logic, Ableton, Bitwig, and Reaper. I think I would go insane between <laughs> DAWs. I, don't I can't move between them. I, I can't do it. I tried, you know, learning a different DAW a couple of times. I know a little bit about Ableton, right? And I know a little bit about Bitwig, but man. Yeah, just sometimes a DAW does one thing better. Like Ableton's, yeah. you know, um, Reason Host stuff is really good. And mm. Studio One's mastering environment is really good. Logic's MIDI is really great. Reaper is great for tracking. And like, man, I wish wish I could just have the one. So you have to sort of standardize on, on one of them and do the best that you can. You know, Reason now works as a plugin on any DAW. In any DAW. Did you know yeah. that? Mm -hmm. That's how I use my, my numerology sequencer in Logic without having to use the MIDI effect. I, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm a big Reason fan. You know, they, uh, they created a system so long ago that it's now like perfectly timely. Right? Yeah. It's, it's what everybody wants to do. So I'm wondering how you're keeping yourself busy during this time. That you're I, am, stuck at I home. play music every day play music every day. If I'm not working with our trainers uh, on, on new courses that are coming out in the next uh, several months, whenever I have a chance, I sit and improvise. Uh, I, I record everything that I do. Um, I, as you mentioned, I am building up a, uh, I think I have 15 little easel pieces that are like three, five, three and five minutes in length that explore different uh, uh, rhythmic, tonal kind of uh, worlds of the easel. So I've been working mm -hmm. very hard on that. Uh, and boy, other than that, watching a lot of TV. <laughs> <laughs> are you sending, are you, is it, um, I guess, are you sending the easel kind of through your logic world as well a lot or kind of keeping it no, a I, bit more direct? I, I look at, you know, as I look at my synthesizers as uh, my Buchla instruments as kind of my my brushes and my colors, and I look at my laptop as my canvas. Mm -hmm. So, depending on the type of music I want to do, I have several different versions of my Logic World, as I call it, uh, and uh, set it up to do different things for different styles of music. Gotcha. All based on the same thing because when I perform live, I have I have to perform in surround, uh, and Logic has really great surround capability. So everything goes through Logic, anyways. So I can do the, all that surround auto panning. Yeah, that's cool. You mentioned uh, right before we started recording that you only uh, play in surround, which is yeah. Let's I know Suzanne do, does the same thing. Um, is it hard to find venues to um, to accommodate that? If I'm within driving distance, no, because I have my own system. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. that's right. Right. So I, I, I have a great system. It's a German system by uh, Lucas Audio, I think it's called. Uh, and it just packs up really small and sounds really big. Cool. So, yeah, but, you know, it's when I played at Superbooth in Berlin uh, mm -hmm. a few years back, they had the most amazing surround stage. Uh I, I could live there. They have, <laughs> yeah. Was that the outdoor one? Because I think you were there in 2017 and 2018. I think that yeah, I think I, it was in 2017 where they had the surround uh, indoor one, concert hall one, I think they called it or two. I don't remember. Okay. It was uh, 
It was a fun experience. Cool. But you're right. It's limiting. Who am I? Pre- I'm not trying to pretend it isn't. It's totally limiting. It's so it's lim it's limiting, but then it's an experience at the same time. So I I don't know. I see that stuff kind of balancing itself out. Like yeah, maybe you have to be more choosy, but the experience is going to be exactly what you're trying to give to people. Um, I'm actually trying to recreate an experience I had when I was. Uh, going back to the very beginning of our conversation at the University of Pittsburgh. They, uh, they brought in Morton Sabotnik. Um, and I think the year was 74, 75. I, I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. But they, they brought him into the ballroom at the University of uh, Pittsburgh. And in each corner of the ballroom were stacked A7, two A7 theater speakers. And those, Altic, those big Altic Lansing boxes. So... Mm-hmm. Imagine eight of those mm-hmm. and Morton Sabotnik sitting in the center and all of us sitting around him in surround. And he wow. played Sidewinder. Oh, wow. And, and it was a, a transformative experience for me. I, I, it was really um, at that point in time that I knew I had to have a bukva. I always wanted one, but I knew <laughs> I had to have a bukva after hearing Mort play. What a brilliant composer. Uh, and musician. And, you know, he, again, one of those seminal experiences that I will take with me to my grave. I would love to hear Mort perform live. It, I have several of his later albums. I mean, he, he, you know, folks who've seen I Dream of Wires and he's in that and talks about Silver Apples of the Moon, which is, you know, just a very, very important piece of work, a piece of music. But he did a ton of stuff and not all on the bookla, you know, over the past. 50 years or so, almost yeah. 60 years now. And his catalog is amazing. I and mean, he's just an extraordinary talent and um, kind of blew me away. You know, I was introduced to his music through uh, My Dream of Wires, and then I got started exploring it and such. He's, um, I highly recommend folks giving him his work a listen, kind of expand your mind a bit, because definitely did for me. He's, I'd love to talk to him someday. Um, but, you know, Steve, speaking of Bukla music, you mentioned this Bukla Now um, compilation coming out in June. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, Todd called me or wrote to me and said, would you like to be part of this uh, this album that he's putting together? And it's got uh, me and Todd and Suzanne Ciani and Caitlin O'Reilly Smith and uh, a few other people that I um, can't remember right now, unfortunately. Um, and... Uh, I think I sent you the information. I don't really have it in front of me right now, but it's a, it's actually going to be released on cassette. And I was, I have to tell you how honored I was to be in the company of, uh, of Todd and Suzanne and Caitlin. Uh, Cause you know, I'm, I, I was here and then I was away for a while and now I'm back and it's like, it's like being welcomed into the community and I'm <laughs> very grateful for that. No. Yeah. I've, I mean, you were one of the first people kind of when I started to jump in to this and um, videos that you had on YouTube and stuff like um, were very helpful. I don't know. You've always felt like a, a heavy hitter in the Buka world in, in my mind. Um, oh, thank you. So, um, so yeah, but I mean. Have you ever video. been called a pillar of the Buka community like Kyle and I have? <laughs> <laughs> I remember you guys talking about that on a previous episode. A pillar, Steve. <laughs> pillar. I'm going to say it right pillar. now. 
You are a pillar <laughs> more, of the Bukla community. Yeah, welcome to I'm the more club. Like a, I, I'm more like a pillow of the Bukla <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, you're the foundation of the Bukla community. We'll give you a, well, a yeah, broader, well. broader honor there. <laughs> I've I've been doing it for a long time, and it's so exciting to be back doing it again. And I do put stuff up on my YouTube channel, which is Steve H Music. Uh, I did something recently, which is kind of different for me, where I'm playing the piano. Yeah, that blew uh, up. I saw that and, everywhere. And uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I woke up one morning, you know, because of what's going on in the world right now, right? And I was just feeling so so sad, right? And and at the same time, I had this kind of help, um, hopeful quality too. So I, I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do something. And I told you earlier, I love the sound of bukle instruments with stringed instruments. And of course, the piano is a percussion instrument that has a lot of strings. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I sat down and I, I set up my cameras because I knew I wanted to share this with the world. And I recorded video and I just improvised. Uh, and uh, it got picked up. Mm -hmm. uh, Couple people call me uh, Gary Alton from Synth and Sound. If I have that right, Gary, please forgive me if I don't. Uh, his online magazine, uh, Synth and Sound. Um, maybe you'll put a link to it uh, in the yeah. uh, in the, yeah, in the we'll episode. Look that up. Um, called me and said, "Can I have a scoop on this?" I said, "Yeah, please do." <laughs> so he uh, he uh, he knocked it out there into the the universe and uh, got, a, got a lot of quick excitement going on. Yeah, I saw that shared from people that had nothing to do with synthesizers or Buchla or anything. They just liked it. You know, they, they kind of went viral a little bit. And I was like, man, that's really cool that, you know, that we were going to have you on the show anyway. So it was already on my mind. But this beautiful piece of music is being enjoyed by people that are outside the realm of, you know, making electronic music or synthesizer specifically. I mm. thought that was really cool. That's a great piece of music too. I thought it was really interesting to see you actually see you playing the piano and how mm. you would move between the two, because that's kind of an interesting topic on itself is, you know, how we integrate Bukla into other instruments, whether it's multi-tracking or playing them at the same time. So I liked seeing that too, because that was, you don't really think of the piano and Bukla as kind of natively going together, but why not? They really do. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity to record an album with uh, Jordan Rudis, who is a oh, yeah. maestro pianist <laughs> with, the, with, with the band Dream Theater. Uh, so Jordan and I have been improvising together for over 10 years. When, whenever he's around, he's always touring. But whenever he's around and we both have time, we got together and improvise. And we decided uh, a lot of that improvising was with all electronics but some of it was with piano too. So we actually recorded everything we've done over the last 10 years. And then a few years back released uh, an album called Intersonic, which you can find, you know, in all the music stores. Uh, and there's a lot of synth and piano stuff going on there. And it was then that I realized how fantastic for some reason, synths and piano sound together. And in my opinion, especially Buchla. Uh, with its, uh, you know, wave shaping sound, it's something about it just really works with the strings. So let me ask you one of those typical fan type questions. You know, Jordan is extremely well known for his just his sheer skill, but I also saw him perform as a con like as a concert pianist because that's what he's 
trained as a classical pianist, and he's outstanding. So what's it like playing with someone like that? I don't have nearly the chops. <laughs> Maybe I, I, you can't even see me in his world of chops. <laughs> That's how good Jordan is. Jordan is, is probably as great a musician as there possibly could be on earth. That's my feeling. Um, and I say that because not only does he have an enormous talent, but he has that heart of a musician, of an, of an improviser, as a player. Um, there's nothing that he can't do. Yeah, At the same time, and he does everything with a lot of heart and a lot of soul. At the same time, for someone like myself who, you know, I can play a bukla really well. I can play a bukla a lot better than Jordan can. <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, what a claim to fame. <laughs> really? <laughs> However, um, when, when two musicians play together, you ha there, there's got to be love there, right? There's, uh, music is such a deep communication, perhaps one of the most essential communications of all humanity. Uh, and if you ever read any of the books by Daniel uh, Levitin, like your, this is your mind on music or the world in six songs, mm -hmm. you understand how integrated uh, music is to the the uh, to human beings. And the reason I'm saying that is that Jordan is one of the most generous uh, play people to play with because he 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 he's a great listener. He's a sensitive performer. Mm. He makes room for someone like myself who is is a different type of musician and make space for that to happen. And of course, you know, my job as a uh, person who's a part of a duet and, and part of the team is to listen and make room for him too. So it's, we get a, we, we communicate on that level. And That's I think awesome. in intersonic, you'll, you'll hear that it comes across. Well, cool. Thanks for sharing that insight. You know, it's, it's really interesting to just hear about, these exceptionally famous and well-known and extremely talented people and just kind of get that other angle of them. You know, he seems like, um, like a lot of jazz musicians seems to really listen to and, and match with the people he's performing with rather than dominating. So I, I like hearing that that's actually the case. That's, that's how he is. And it's, you know, speaking of generosity every day at 4 PM Eastern, he's performing live on his uh, face, uh, on his Facebook uh, page. Uh, oh, neat. solo piano and it's uh quite an experience i recommend it highly to uh, uh all of our listeners out there so i'm hoping when all this uh you know lockdown kind of um subsides and everybody's feeling much more healthy i think i don't know i think a, a new york trip would be fun and so it'd be to great be great to come out and um yeah and experience your world that you've been talking about I'd love to have you anytime, Kyle and, and Robert. I will take you up on that for sure. Cool. So, yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. And would you mind uh, playing us out with the easel? Oh, I'll improvise an easel etude for you. Great. Okay. And thank you guys for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've been listening to you like, you know, in for months and it's just really really great to be here well i definitely appreciate your support and really loved having you on the show today so here we go let me set up my easel and we'll i'll play you out 
We'd like to thank Steve for being on the show today. Check out Steve H. Music for more information on Steve and his music. You can also find a link to his great YouTube page uh, on his website or in our show notes. You can find his new Oceana EP, as well as the two performances you just heard on this episode, on his Bandcamp page at stevehmusic.bandcamp.com. Tim Held has had some great guests on his show, The Padre Modcast, recently, so check those out. You can also check out Ben Wilson and Ed Ball's Esoteric Modulation podcast. New episodes come out the first Thursday of every month. Their episode in May will feature Scott Campbell, the maker of the OM1 cassette synthesizer. I'm, I'm looking forward to that episode. Visit waveformmagazine.com for more details on how to subscribe to the quarterly synthesizer magazine. If you want to help support the show, you can do so through Patreon at patreon.com slash source of uncertainty. You can find out more about the show or contact us through our website, sourceofuncertainty.audio. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Instagram at source of uncertainty. See you next month. Bye. <laughs>